think that's it for that stuff. Um, I don't get to introduce Vita, although I wish I could, but you probably know Vita's been with us a number of times and we love, love, love having her here. But the honor today goes to my friend and colleague, Rita Severinghouse, who will introduce Vita to all of you. I am simply delighted to introduce Vita. And Vita is a mentor, a former teacher from the early 90s. But she also visited Dartmouth Hitchcock. Her first visit here was in 1993. Uh, right, Brian? Yes, when we have her up. And we keep having her, not receiving you. Here I am. We love having you. Um, I, um, Vida is Vice President for Education and Program Development for the Birch Tree Center for Healthcare Transformation, which is located in Florence, Massachusetts. She was founding president of Seeds and Bridges Center for Holistic Nursing Education beginning in 1983, where she developed the certificate program in holistic nursing and other professional development programs. Dr. Andrews is past president and international director for the American Holistic Nurses Association, is the recipient of the 2004 Holistic Nurse of the Year Award and this year is the first recipient of the outstanding support of AHNCC Certification Award from the American Holistic Nurses Credentialing Corporation. Please join me in welcoming you. I'd forgotten I was here in 93. <laughs> But I think I was here with Jane Lunt, as I recall. We yes. came up uh, pretty early on to present some ideas for Dartmouth-Hitchcock in terms of looking at ways to bring some integrative therapies into your organization. And then I was honored to be here again just this past May, and also was here about two years ago, also doing a program called Reawakening the Heart, and I think it was a leadership program. So. Um, I've decided to buy a condo up here in the area, <laughs> uh, since I tend to spend a fair amount of time here. Although I live in an equally beautiful area in western Massachusetts, um, if you know the Amherst, uh, Northampton area, very progressive area, and uh, five colleges and universities, so it's a great place for me to be, and uh, pretty close to an airport, which is important because I do a tremendous amount of uh, travel with my work and have for all of the years that I've been uh, teaching holistic nursing. This is my 34th year of teaching this work. Um, I'm still passionate about it. I feel strongly about creating communities and environments that are conducive for nurses to, uh, to give their best. And uh, as uh, we all know, there's multiple changes going on in healthcare today, which make it a little bit more challenging to perhaps give our best. We always want to. That's our intention. And yet there's a lot of different factors that interplay in our ability to provide the kind of care sometimes that we would like to provide. So today our focus is, as you can see, is on the topic of holistic nursing. And what I love about this topic is one day we're going to drop the word holistic and we're going to call it nursing because that is really what we all went into this 
grand and noble profession for to begin with, which is to create opportunities for connection, to create opportunities to build relationships, and also, again, because we are skilled in a range of different ways to provide the kind of care that we want to help people on their healing journeys. And so today will be uh, the first hour, and I know some of you are probably going to stay for the full afternoon, but for the first hour will be more of an introduction to holistic nursing. So we're all kind of get on the same playing field with each other in terms of what that actually means and why I'm uh, adamant about <coughs> the fact that one day the word holistic will be dropped and we will return to remembering what nursing is about for us. What I'd like to start with, even though there's been some introductory remarks here, is that one of the elements that I find to be critical for holistic nursing is about being able to ground ourselves so that we are as present as possible when we come into relationship with the people who we're caring for and also with our colleagues and certainly with the interdisciplinary team. So what I'd like to do, and I know some of you are eating a meal right now, if you could just pause for the moment. And if I could invite you, if you're comfortable, to sit yourself in your chair, but listen to the language. Can I invite you to sit in your chair with dignity? What is that? Kind of minor adjustments happen when you hear that word dignity, yes? Because there's something about that word that resonates with a way of presenting ourselves in the world. And so dignity brings us to a different posture sometimes. In addition, if I could invite you to place both of your feet flat on the floor. And if you're comfortable closing your eyes, I invite that. If that's not comfortable, a soft gaze maybe to your lap or to the table. Something that creates a moment for reflection. And now if I could invite a nice big deep breath, big breath in and let it go. Let's do that one more time. Big breath. And with your next breath, I'm going to invite you to, with intention, to draw up the energy from the earth. We call the earth the ground. And what I love about that is it helps us to ground when we, with intention, connect with the earth to allow ourselves to be present in this moment. And so now with your next inhalation, because your feet are on the floor, I'm going to invite you to picture that you have a root coming out of the bottom of each of your feet. And in your mind's eye, imagine sending that root down through the floor, through the foundation, and as deeply into the earth as your mind's eye will allow. There's no right or wrong. There's no better depth than another. It's really about whatever it is that you can imagine. And now that you've got roots sinking down into the earth, now with your next inhalation, I'm going to invite you to inhale that grounded earth energy. And then on your exhalation to allow that earth energy to simply flow around your body. Again, there's no right way or wrong way to do this. If you've not done it before, it's an opportunity with each breath to feel yourself becoming more and more present, letting go of whatever it took for you to arrive here in this room today, 
and simultaneously letting go of whatever it is that needs to happen next. And so that brings us to the only moment we really have, which is this wonderful, precious moment. Letting go of the past, letting go of the future, bringing yourself right here and right now. And so in your own rhythm, continuing to bring up that earth energy on the inhalation and allowing it to become you on your exhalation. And it's natural that your mind will probably wander as you listen to my voice. My invitation is to bring your focus back to the breath and back to this moment. So I'm going to stop speaking for just a moment or so as you continue your focus on the breath. Now let's all share one big breath together, big breath, let it go. And when you feel complete and you feel ready on your own time, I invite you to reopen your eyes, bringing yourself back to full presence right here, right now in this room. you notice there's a change in the energy in the room? It's a little quieter now. Do you feel a little bit more peaceful inside, a little quieter yourself? Easy for that monkey mind to jump around and draw you here and draw you there. And yet, the practice is to bring yourself using the breath, because the breath is always with us. You are breathing, right? Anybody not breathing? Can I see a raise of hands? <laughs> So now, knowing that we're breathing all the time, can we use that breath to help us be right here and right now, either in this room or when we come into relationship with the people who we're caring for? When you go home to be with your family, whatever your family may look like, can you bring that present self, knowing that that's the quality of the relationships that we're looking for when we come into creating connection with others? So this work is really a practice. You know, for some of you today, practicing grounding and being present may be brand new to you. Some of you, this may have been a practice for a long period of time. And yet, either way, the word practice is key. Ongoing practice. So let's look a little bit at holistic nursing and see what that means. And I'm going to do that by breaking down the two words and talking a little bit about it. And then I'm going to check in and see what you're thinking as well. I know this has got a live stream to it. I'm not quite sure how all of that's going to work. We'll just figure it out together. It's new for me, probably new for you as well. So when we look at the word nurse, not a brand new word to anybody here. Everybody a nurse? Anyone not in nursing here? Okay, so great. So when we look at that concept of the word, I guess it doesn't show so well. But anyway, I'll, I'll use my finger. How's that sound? So the word nurse is both a noun and it's a verb. And as you can see, it means to care for, 
to take special care of and someone who cares for. And the, the uh, consistent word in those three definitions is care. the word care. But don't you think a mother cares, a father cares, firemen care, firefighters care? Let's get all the right language here today. And the answer is absolutely yes. And yet there's something that happens in nursing that we'll talk a little bit about. Some of it will happen in this first hour and some over the course of uh, the afternoon is to recognize that caring is a, a real core component when we're looking at our practice as nurses. The word holistic, it comes from the Greek route holos, the Middle English route hale. And that's why when people have said to me over the years that I've been teaching this, they say, well, why don't you start spelling it with a W? And I'm like, well, here's why. Because the root of the word holistic actually, holos and hale obviously start with a letter H rather than the letter W, although what we're really looking at in many ways is recognizing the whole person. So the word whole obviously means something that sometimes we forget about. And this is not a criticism. Nothing I'm going to say today is a criticism at all. But it's easy for us, even in our articulation, to say the liver in room 301. So just a liver lying in that bed? Unlikely that there is, right? And yet our language, the way we articulate, often denotes something that creates just a part of that person rather than this amazing, rich, remarkable human being who has this story and series of stories across their whole lifetime that make them a remarkable human being that has uh, an ability to live a rich life as well as to be a wonderful partner and reflection for us. How many of you have found that your patients are some of your best teachers? And you've learned a lot from them, from their story, from their journey, from their experience of life. And that's why that core construct of story becomes so important. Have you ever noticed that uh, it's not uncommon that a person will tell you a story and then they'll tell you that same story again? Yeah? And you walk back in the room and they tell you that same story again. And there's part of you that wants to, on the inside, kind of do the eye roll and say, oh my gosh, I have to hear the story again. But here's a thought. When someone's telling you that story, and they tell you that story again and again, and perhaps again and again and again, who do you think they're really telling the story to? To themselves. Because there's something in that story that is so important to that person that they want you to know about it. And our role in there is to listen to the story, even though you may hear it multiple times, and to reflect back to that individual, what is it about the story that is that important to you? <coughs> what I know to be true is that when people tell stories over and over and are telling it to themselves, there's something important in that story that we take into consideration in terms of our plan of care. Because if you think of someone who might be, let's say, 80 years old, they could tell you a thousand million stories, couldn't they? But they tell you that one story. 
I'll give you an example. When I was invited to come and teach here in April of 2014, Deb, you remember this. We had to postpone that presentation because my father passed. And what was interesting is we ended up presenting uh, that I ended up presenting that program on, I'll always remember it, December 8th, 2014, which would have been my father's 94th birthday. That's how the world works, right? My dad spent the last 17 years of his life with Alzheimer's. If you know Alzheimer's, uh, there's certain stories they can remember and certain stories they can't. When I would go to Florida to visit my parents, I'd walk in the door, and within minutes, and I'm going to use you as an example if you don't mind, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> don't panic. I'd walk in the door, and my father would say, did I ever tell you the story about how I met your mother? And he'd proceed to tell me that story. And I'd go back down again. I went down like five times a year. You know, I'm the daughter and the nurse. You got it? <laughs> He'd say, did I ever tell you the story about how I met your mother? And by the nth number of times, I would, would take a breath and I would say, no, Daddy, you never told me that story before. <laughs> because that was the most important story of his life. This was his wife of 68 years. This was the woman who took care of him with Alzheimer's for 17 years. And after my father passed, my mother passed 11 months later. Not a unique story. And yet, she was pretty tired out from being a caretaker for her husband all those years. And so I stop here when I look at that word whole, and I invite us to remember the importance of story and the importance of creating that space to listen and even though you want to do that eye roll, because you've heard that story before, can you, can you take that breath and hold that space for that individual? This is holistic nursing that we're talking about here. It's about being present. It's about creating opportunities for connection, for relationships. And what I know from all the years that I've been teaching this work I'm not talking about adding one more thing to your plate. I'm not talking about anything that's going to take additional time. It's about being in that moment with that person because they deserve your full presence. You can hang an IV holistically. You can hang an IV holistically by being present having eye contact when appropriate, touch when appropriate, to create in those couple of minutes that it takes to hang an IV or whatever your task may be, to create that space for connection to happen. What we know is in an acute care setting is that people are disconnected from the things that bring them comfort. And whether it's their significant other or their pets or their pillows or their blankets or their clothing, whatever their cultural food, whatever it is, they're disconnected. And I see nurses as the first line bedside care connector. I know it's a long sentence, but that's how I see our work, as being the one that creates comfort, 
creates a touchstone, creates a grounding force to help someone who is anxious, potentially in pain, and challenged with being in a, you know, a critical place in their life. People don't just like show up to be in an acute care setting. Hello, I have nothing else to do today. I think I'll just show up and you can take care of me. Nope, doesn't work that way. And so when we look at that word whole, and we look at the word healthful, creating an opportunity for healing to happen. We know not everything can be cured, but we know that healing is always possible. And I think years ago, nursing was under the umbrella of the medical model. And so our focus, and I'm not saying that we don't want a cure, of course we want a cure. But I don't know about you, I know that curing isn't always possible. <clears throat> healing always is. And many of our nursing models today are focused on creating an environment that's conducive for healing to happen. That word holy, I feel emotional when I say that word holy, but I do see that our work is sacred. This is sacred work. Nursing is sacred work. The people in our care, and that's a shift too. We've used the word patient for a long time, haven't we? When you think of the word patient, what uh, comes up for you? The word patient. I'll just, if someone wants to raise their hand and shout it out, I think I'm required to shout it back. I think that's what I do when I'm streaming here. <laughs> so the word patient, what do you think of? Think of somebody who receives care. Someone who receives care. Excellent. Can we add on to that? The word patient. Great start. Dependency. <clears throat> dependency. Dependency. Depends on someone else to provide the service. Yes, dependency. And also when we use, please. I was going to say vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Vulnerable. Yes. And when we look at the word patient, we often think of it of what is wrong with a person, right? So our focus becomes the what's wrong with them rather than seeing them in their wholeness. What if we made a shift in our language? Now, we'll still use the word patient because we've been using it for, you know, 100 years or so. So I don't expect that you're going to go back to your work environments and stop using the word patient. However, you can shift the way in which you come into relationship with that concept of patient by seeing them in their wholeness. So what I like to do is shift the language from patient to the person in my care. Can you hear a difference? Some of you are, this is what I'm seeing out here. And then I'm seeing this. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> the person, the whole person in my care means that you're going to be looking at this person from that perspective of holistic nursing, which is seeing them in their wholeness rather than as a part. So when we put it into a perspective, what I know about holistic nursing is that for a very long time, the way in which it's been defined is about all these different modalities that we can bring into our practice. Music therapy, animal-assisted therapy, aromatherapy, you know, the list is pretty lengthy, reflexology, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's a myth. So I'm going to start right off here by dispelling the myth that the focus is on all of the modalities. But the simple nature, really three words define holistic nursing, and it is your way of being, who you are, how you come into relationship, how you create opportunity for connection to happen for that vulnerable, disconnected individual who is in your care. So that shift from having to have all of this, you know, toolbox of all these different modalities is not what holistic nursing is. You never have to learn any of those modalities if you don't want to, or integrative therapies, whatever language you want to use. It will always come back to you. Are you grounded? Is your heart open with compassion and loving kindness? Do you create an environment by your way of being? There is a woman whose name is Janet Quinn. She's from Colorado, the University of Colorado. She's an RN, PhD researcher. And listen, to, I'm not going to go into the research right now, but listen to the shift in her language. She says it's not about the nurse being in a healing environment, <coughs> because many of our work environments are not healing environments, are they? <coughs> she says it's about the nurse being or becoming the healing environment. Does that make sense? So it is about our way of being and how we come into relationship. Can you now see why one day we'll let go of the word holistic and call it nursing? Because this is what we entered into this remarkable profession for to begin with, which is to create that avenue for relationship building. So let me talk a little bit about the philosophical underpinnings of holistic nursing. This is not going to be like a lengthy uh, focus, and yet I think it's an important one to kind of gain a perspective and some insight into where we come from and how we're kind of getting to where we are today. And it brings us back to the 1700s with a couple of scientists. And one of them is um, Isaac Newton. We're familiar with him. He's a physicist. And the other is uh, René Descartes, who is actually a mathematician from France. And the way in which the world was looked at, the scientific worldview from the 1700s, was to be able to put everything into boxes and to be able to measure everything and to be able to reduce them to their parts. And we've carried that into nursing and into healthcare beautifully. Let me give you an example. So if I have something that's going on with my physical body, it's likely that I'm going to see a nurse practitioner. I always say nurse practitioner first. That's how I started my career or a physician or a specialist of some nature who can deal with a physical body. Does that sound about right? Familiar with that? Okay, well let's say that I have something going on with my mental body. I'm gonna see a who? Therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor of some nature. Can you see already how we've conveniently separated the body here from the mind? But what if I have a concern of the spirit? Then I will speak with a rabbi, a priest, a minister, you know, a shaman, depending on my cultural background. And we have conveniently, from a mechanistic, mechanical, reductionistic perspective, separated the body from the mind, from the spirit. 
I had something going on with my physical body, I'd probably have my blood drawn, right? Rush it down to the lab, look at it underneath the microscope, count the number of white blood cells, all the different kinds, red blood cells. We would call that a reductionistic process. So we've reduced my whole blood into its parts in order to gain perspective. From there, perhaps identify a diagnosis. And from there, some intervention or maybe pharmaceutical. So when we look at holistic nursing, the other myth has been that it means that we're never going to use a pharmaceutical again. We're never going to use all the interventions. Wrong. We're looking really today at more integrated care. That's the language that we see today. Years ago, we looked at it as alternative. Either you did Western medicine and all the usual interventions that we're familiar with today, or you did all these weird wooey-wooey things like <laughs> wand waving and crystal bearing, right? Then time went by and we called it complementary care, where they complemented each other. And today, the language is integrated care. The best of the best from Western medicine and the best of the best of all those Maybe unusual to some folks, different integrative therapies that are available. Much more of an integrative approach of both. But that takes us to the next slide as well. And that's what's happened since that time frame. So the scientific worldview of the 1700s was focused on a mechanistic, reductionistic perspective. Whereas 200 years later, we're looking at a little different perspective. We have to recognize that that scientific worldview is still a lot of the foundation of nursing education, medical education, and the way in which we provide care. And yet, something happened in those 200 years. We could probably call it technology. And with technology, now we have the opportunity to be able to see things and measure things in ways that just weren't available in the 1700s. Very briefly, we look at these couple of scientists, Max Planck and the theory of quantum mechanics. We're going to spend the next half hour focusing on quantum physics. Is that a problem for anyone? <laughs> yeah, I see a hand in the back. <laughs> oh, she just left. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the cliff note version of quantum physics. Aren't you glad it's a cliff note version? <laughs> so here's the scoop, very, very simple. Quantum physics is about these subatomic particles that are too small <laughs> to see, to touch, and often even to measure. But the only way that they can be measured is in relationship to one another. And so what we've learned in healthcare related to quantum physics is that it's all about relationships. It's about the relationship we have with ourself, and we're going to look at self-care in just a little bit. It's also about the relationships that we have with one another, the people in our care and their families, and also the relationships we have with one another as colleagues. We know that nursing, let's be honest here, nursing needs a lot of healing. We're not always so nice to each other. And that's a whole other topic that we're not going to be able to approach today and at the same time. My premise is the more we take care of ourselves, 
through grounding, through nourishing, the more we will be able to bring our best selves to our work environments. I'm not saying it'll take care of all the issues in nursing. There's always going to be plenty. And at the same time, self-care is a core component of holistic nursing practice. Albert Einstein, his theory of relativity, again, he's a quantum physicist. He clearly says that everything has a relationship to everything else, that we're sensing that. When you walk into a patient's room, and I'll use the word patient, when you walk into the patient's room, what are you doing already? You're already sensing what's going on in that space, aren't you? So if there's anxiety, what's your role if there's anxiety? So you bring that calming energy in. So if we were to back this up a little bit before you even walk into that person's room, you're driving to work. So you have a choice about how nourished you are. Did you have a good breakfast? What kind of music are you listening to on your way into work? Are you taking some deep breaths as you leave your car and you're walking through the front door or whatever door here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock? So that when you walk up to your, your, your unit, what kind of energy happens at the change of shift? This is what I'm seeing. People are like... <laughs> <laughs> so now you have a choice about what kind of energy you're going to bring to that environment, yes? So if it's frenetic energy, which is understandable, people have just finished, uh, what, a 10 or 12 hour shift or whatever it may be. You know, you've been there. A change of shift, where are you at? And it's time to go home. So when you walk in, you have a choice. If you've grounded yourself, taken some deep breaths, created a peaceful internal environment, then that's what you bring to change of shift and handoff. Am I making sense? These are practices. If you walk in and you're already like this, and you pick up on that, what does your whole day look like? <laughs> and so that if you're my first patient, and you're anxious, and I'm like this, I am not, as Quinn says, the healing environment for the person in my care. These are practices. So we can use the breath, can't we? Before I go into this gentleman's room, how long did that breath take? Go ahead, let's take a deep breath. Ready? Big breath. Five seconds. Do you have five seconds? You're breathing anyway. So maybe. <laughs> Maybe on your clipboard or whatever you have, your spectral link, whatever you've got. What if you put a little sticky note in it said breathe? What if on your hand sanitizers you have little sticky notes that say breathe? Am I making sense? I'm giving you some ideas here to help you be able to be more present, more grounded. So that becomes the energy that you bring to the relationship. Before I were to draw this, this is me. Look a little like me. <laughs> this is the person in my care. And if you remember those Venn diagrams from uh, algebra a long, long time ago for some of us, 
But you know the word, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we co-create together. I don't have control over this person, do I? They're ill, they don't feel well, they're vulnerable, they're fragile perhaps, frightened. Who do I have control over? So what I bring to this will be important. The more I can be grounded, quiet, peaceful, compassionate, heart open, that becomes my energetic contribution to this relationship. And so when we look from this perspective of David Bohm, the implicate order of nature means what happens on the inside. The word explicate would mean what's happening on the outside. So if I'm peaceful, quote, on the inside, that becomes my contribution to the explicate. Do I make sense? At some point, we'll stop using the word inside and outside because we'll know that there is this flow of energy that happens. When you walk into a room and it's frenetic, great potential that you can just pick up that energy and it becomes you, and yet, your contribution to bringing some calm, peaceful energy to change of shift, to a patient's room, to your home environments, to our world. It's all the same when we look at holistic nursing. Let me pause a moment, see if you have any questions or comments before we continue. You're getting a bit of a sense of what holistic nursing is about? And then let's share another breath. We need practice. A little research. It's always helpful to have some research to substantiate what we're talking about here today. And I'm going to use, what's your first name? Lindsay. Okay, I'm going to use Lindsay. She doesn't have to do anything either, but just sit there. So the first set of research was done with nurses and they had a nurse go into a room and stand at the foot of the bed for one minute and talk to the patient and then leave the room. They had another nurse come in, stand at the head of the bed, talk to the patient for one minute and leave the room. Then the nurse researcher went in and said, well, how long was the nurse at the foot of the bed? Just for a few seconds. How long was the nurse at the head of the bed? Three to five minutes. Now you tell me something. How much longer did it take for me to walk from the foot of Lindsay's bed to the head of Lindsay's bed when the research demonstrates that the patient experience, the patient's <coughs> perception, now we're looking at your HCAP scores, aren't we? This is not a rocket science event here. This is a movement from the foot of the bed to the head of the bed so that there is a perception that I've been there for longer than I actually have. So that means that if I'm just walking by the room and sticking my head in, according to Lindsay, I was never there. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. This research can be very helpful to give you perspective and to substantiate the kind of practices that we're talking about today. Then the second set of research that went viral, literally, came out in 2010 from the University of Kansas. Similar in a way, they had a physician come in and stand, here's the head of the bed, right? 
You can see here the actual time of standing. Now you tell me, is this pretty much what you see? A physician comes in, it's about one minute and 28 seconds. Interesting, isn't it? And then, I'm not going to pull over a chair right now, but the second set of research, the second part of this research was sitting at the head of the bed. Here I'm at eye level. I'm not dominating. I'm not a force to be reckoned with. I'm on an equal playing field with the person I'm caring for. And so here, the actual time was 1 minute and 28 seconds. Perceived was 3 minutes and 44. But remember, I'm at the head of the bed, not the foot of the bed. And in addition to that, sitting, which was less time sitting than standing, the perception was that I was there for five minutes or more. So the question to ask yourself, where is the chair in your patient's room? And what is stacked on it? Is it accessible? When you look at this research and you start thinking about you know, I've got to talk about that business case a little bit. When we talk about HCAP scores, this becomes an important component. So your posturing can be significantly influential when we're looking at the quality of the connection, the relationship. We're not looking at any additional length of time. So when we look at holistic nursing, it's not about the quantity of time. It's about the quality of the relationship that happens when we, with intention, create that opportunity for a relationship to occur. A student sent me this picture. <laughs> this came out shortly after <coughs> research from 2010 went viral. So this physician, resident, med student, whomever all, is looking for anything that he can find to sit down on. At least he put the top down. <laughs> but here's what's curious, and I'll, I'll use this picture up here as an example. You can see that the chair is over here on the other side of the room. It has nothing on it, so it could be a, util, a utilizable chair. But again, he's doing what he can to be as close to the head of the bed as possible and certainly sitting down. So my invitation to you is to take this research to heart and do whatever it is you're able to do to create that opportunity for building relationships and creating the opportunity for connection, knowing that this individual is yearning for that connection to happen. <coughs> Um, Jean Watson, and I'm going to talk about her briefly in just a moment, she, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what she says, she says that when a nurse enters a room, there is an air of expectancy, an air of expectancy. <coughs> We're the bearer of information, sometimes good, sometimes challenging to impart, yes. And in addition to that, we are the ones who are that first line bedside care connector. They may have been in that room all by themselves for who knows whatever period of time. It becomes our role. That's when I see holistic nursing and nursing as holy, as sacred, as creating that avenue for this amazing relationship. Even if it's for one day, and I know managed care, you may only see this person same day surgery, you might only see them for a couple of hours. 
And yet, can you, with intention, create that opportunity for that connection to happen? Let's share another breath. The more you practice, and I know this sounds kind of funny in a way, but the more you practice, the more it becomes your practice. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of this theorists. However, do know that holistic nursing does have a foundation in the philosophical underpinnings, which I've presented to you. And in addition to that, these are four theorists in particular that we, um, in the work that I've done for many years, see as specifically holistic. And I know Henderson has been the theorist that you've used here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock for whatever period of time. Um, I personally, honestly, don't see her as particularly holistic compared to what I see in the literature of these four theorists in particular. And I know we don't usually think of Nightingale as a theorist, more of so, more of the philosophy of practice. But what I will say is that Nightingale, Rogers, Newman, and Watson, without going into theory today, you're probably relieved, aren't you? Just as relieved as you were when I said that you were not going to spend the whole day on quantum physics. <laughs> However, what these four theorists have in common is what I've already been talking about today. Their focus is on the environment. And the environment is this environment here, that implicate order of nature that David Bohm talks about. The environment that we co-create, there's a language shift, we co-create with a person in our care. And in addition to that, we can even broaden out a little bit more and look at this environment here, the bigger environment. So these four theorists look at the importance of the environment predominantly focused on our own environment. Are you well nourished? Are you relaxed? Do you sleep well? Do you nourish yourself from a range of perspectives? And so that will be bringing us to the topic of self-care as well. So when you look at these images, and hopefully I've uh, kind of created a pretty good mix of images of nursing uh, in this collage, what are the things that you see in common from one image to the next? Touch. I see touch. What else do you see? Caring. Caring. Ah, that brings us back to the definition of a nurse, right? So now we've got touch and connection as part of that caring component. What else do you see from image to image? Eye contact. Eye contact. Beautiful. Anything else? Connection. Connection. Closeness. I'm sorry? Closeness. Closeness. Yeah, close proximity. And if you're staying for the second, I'll, I'll be going a little bit deeper into some of this. Um, you know, this is the grand rounds for one hour. There'll be a little bit more that we'll go into uh, in this regard a little later. And they're smiling. Now you could say they're smiling because they're having their picture taken, right? They're smiling because this is contentment. I love all of these images. This is my favorite right here. Is this bliss? This is bliss. And yet, in order to stay in this grand and noble profession for its longevity, and to be content with nursing satisfaction, which we know by extension informs patient satisfaction and vice versa, something important needs to happen for us to be able to continue to do this work. 
Now, who was it uh, that's been uh, a nurse for 39 years at the bedside? There you go. Well, we all want to know what your like uh, your story is and what your what's kept you doing what you're doing for so long. But I'm hoping, uh, since we don't have the time to go into all of those details, can you give us a little gem that's helped you be able to continue to do your work at the bedside for so long? Well, you nailed it when you said it's a story. Each patient does have a story. And you, you have to go in and, and have the touch and listen. And I can resonate with the chair available not to commode necessarily. <laughs> Space is a commodity in the patient's world. Sure. So if you can always have that empty chair in the corner, whether it be for a family member, for a physician, or even the nurse that has to do all that technology. And then again, with Florence Nightingale, that's where my, where my heart is. That's what's kept you doing it yeah. for so long. Yeah. How many of you have been nurses for more than 25 years? So some things, it's, I'm sure part of it's about what it is that uh, is nourishing for us as nurses. And some of it is I'm hoping that uh, there's been a shift in recent years in terms of the importance of taking care of yourself so you're able to continue to do this work. And nurses are not so good at taking care of themselves in general. We are great at taking care of the people in our care. We're great at taking care of, uh, having been in the sandwich generation, our family members, however you want to define that. We're great at taking care of each other. We bring in the birthday cake. We do all sorts of things for each other. However, we're not always so good about taking care of ourselves. And so what I'd like to share with you is a quote to start with. And this is a quote from two nurses, uh, Turkle and Ray. And they say here, if the nurse does not care for self, it is impossible for her or him to compassionately care for others. From this unshakable foundation, we nourish our inner strength and beauty as we reach out to others from our authentic themselves. So let's share a breath and I want to share a reading with you. Come on in. Big breath. And the book is, uh, I think that the two bibliographies may have gotten mixed up a little bit, but you'll, they're online as well. So this one I think ended up being titled Grand Rounds and it's for the next class, but whatever. But there's a book uh, on one of the bibliographies that's by Wayne Muller, and it's called Sabbath, Finding Rest, Renewal, and Delight in Our Busy Lives. And so if you don't have that handout, know that it's online with the other handout. So I want to share a little bit of this reading with you to put in perspective the importance of taking care of yourself. In the relentless busyness of modern life, we have lost the rhythm between work and rest. All life requires the rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and our body's need for sleep. There is a rhythm in the way in which day dissolves into night and night into morning. 
There's a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary dormancy of fall and winter. There is a tidal rhythm, a deep eternal conversation between the land and the great sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptibly rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between inhale and exhale. We have lost this essential rhythm. Our culture invariably suppose, supposes the action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, to meet these ever-growing expectations, we do not rest. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. <clears throat> we bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. And we miss the joy and love born of effortless delight. Poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. In our drive for success, we are seduced by the promises of more. More money, more recognition, more satisfaction, more love, more information, more influence, more possessions, more security. Even when our intentions are noble and our efforts sincere, even when we dedicate our lives to the service of others, the corrosive pressure of frantic overactivity can cause suffering in ourselves and in others. Sabbath is more than the absence of work. It's not just a day off when we catch up on television or errands. It is the presence of something that arises when we consecrate a period of time to listen to what is most beautifully, most deeply beautiful, nourishing, and true. It is a time consecrated with our attention, our mindfulness, honoring those quiet forces of grace or spirit that sustain and heal us. Sabbath time is not spiritually superior to our work. The practice is rather to find that balance point at which, having rested, we do our work with greater ease and joy and bring healing and delight to our endeavors. Should I just keep reading the book? <laughs> no, books come into our life right when they're meant to. And this one came into my life a number of years ago when I was going through some burnout in my own career. And the reminder, of course, was to return to taking care of myself. Some days I do better than others. It's a practice. It's an ongoing practice. So I impart that wisdom to you from Wayne Muller as a reminder of how important it is to nourish yourself in all different kinds of ways to support you to be able to stay in this profession and also to live as full and vital life as you possibly can. I love this quote. 
it is difficult to be a healing presence with others if our own vessel is empty. And so when we look at holistic nursing, there are five core values, and I only want to point out right now core value number five. Holistic nurse, self-reflection, and self-care. This is what in part makes holistic nursing unique as a nursing specialty, is that self-care, self-reflection, creating that time to nourish your body, mind, spirit is foundational, hence the fifth and the bottom of the five <clears throat> core values. It is foundational for holistic nursing practice. So when we look at this image here, actually, let me just look at this image, then I'll go back to that slide. And we're almost done because it's just about 1 o'clock. A reminder about taking care of you in order to take care of others. Again, we're experts at taking care of everyone else. Can we, a little at a time, and see it as a process? So there's three Ps that I would like to impart to you today as we bring some closure. Everything's going to be a practice. It's all a process of unfolding over time. You're not going to boom, all of a sudden you're going to be the best self-care person in the whole world. It's going to be a process, particularly if you're not accustomed to including yourself in your own life. And the third is to be patient with yourself. Something not so easy for nurses. Because we're that other P, and we have to be, and that is the word perfectionist. We have people who rely on us for their health, their well-being, for their care. We must be perfectionist to make sure we got the right dosage, we've got the right treatment, we've got, and we're skilled. We are scientific artists. We are experts at the science. And sometimes the artistry of our practice, the relationship building, the compassion, the connection, sometimes it takes a back burner in order to get the tasks done. This is not a criticism, please. It's a recognition. I travel this wor world widely, well, at least this country. Gratefully, I'm not doing anything more extensive than that at this point. <laughs> However, the point being is, to include yourself in your life. Often when we look at nurses, and this is not meant to be a criticism again, from one to 10 of where we place our attention, often we come up around number 13. Can we at least bring ourselves up into the top 10 to know that to stay in this profession, to have that happy look that we saw on some of those earlier images will indeed take caring for ourselves in order to be able to do that. So the invitation today is to reflect on your own work-life balance. What does that look like? Be honest with yourself. You may need to do some journal writing. Get it up, get it out. Begin to recognize whether there's some imbalance. And if you're staying for the next uh, class, uh, we'll be doing some deeper work with that work-life balance focus. Look at your own compassion fatigue and your own burnout. That's when this book walked into my life a number of years ago. It was a time when I hit menopause at the same time that I was traveling extensively. Need I say more for those of you who know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> and to see taking care of yourself is integral with your practice. And in addition to that, to support others to take care of themselves as well. You know, the stronger your team is, 
the more potentiality there is that when you, that you'll be able to take a lunch break. You might not get that lunch hour. That's an old model, unfortunately, and yet can you take a break so that you are nourished to be able to come back and continue to do your work? So as we bring closure, these are my seven steps for a peaceful day. The first is to eat a good breakfast. Or if you work the evening or night shift, you know how to adjust the language in order to make sure that you're nourished. I invite you to consider listening to some peaceful music while you're driving to work so that you're bringing that calmer, quieter, more grounded energy. And that will inform what your whole day looks like. If your day starts out frenetic, you know your whole day potentially can look like that. Ground in central throughout the day. That's the breathe sticker on your hand sanitizers or your computers or wherever you might want to place that to help you remember to ground yourself. Breathing, taking your lunch break. I, you know, I'm just giving you a best case scenario here. Center yourself before you return home. So you're now bringing your best self back home as well. And last but not least, the most difficult one on this entire mm -hmm. list is to turn off your electronics about an hour before you go to bed so that you can actually have a good, deep, restful night to be able to get up the next day and continue to do this great work of nursing. Let's share a breath. I see that it's one o'clock. Uh, I'll take a, a question or two if there's anyone who wants to stay. Otherwise, uh, we'll bring some closure. And I thank you for your kind of attention today. Hopefully, you've got a better sense of what holistic nursing is. And if you are planning to stay for the rest of the afternoon, I invite you to get out of your seats, get a stretch break, get a beverage, and uh, see you back here about 1.15. So thank you very much.